Baruchim Abayim Hashem Hashem Berachnuchem Veis Hashem. Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday night shiur. So much happening, so much happening, so much happening. Doors are ringing still. Okay. Um. Yilu Nishmas, of course. Nachmiyakim ben Tvihirsh. And Bachevachana Bas. Shalom Bas. Shalom Bas. Well, I'd like to uh, elaborate firstly on the uh, concept of numbers. Concept of numbers are very, very interesting, and they have a lot of Kabbalistic connotations always. And many things we take for granted. For example, the number 18. The number 18, the number Chai. Everybody says Chai, Chai, it's 11, it's life, Chai, everybody knows Chai, life. Chai itself is an interesting combination. Chai itself, 18, if you're into math at all, is a 10 and an 8. Very unlikely to have 18 without 10 and 8. And that in itself are phenomenal. Those in themselves are phenomenal. Number 10 represents. First and foremost, the ten spheres. The ten attributes. Chabad Chagas Nehim. Ten attributes. Beautiful number of ten is a rounded number, which is a complete, it's a complete cycle, a complete entity on its own. Ten. Esir Midas. The number eight, in its own right, also is a very powerful entity. The number 8, generally, for example, the days of the week, which is a cycle of its own, Chagas and Nehim are 7. The 7 days of a week are completed, are completed we take the 7 days, we take the 7, the concept of 7, which is full, a full week, for example, this was open, and we add to it 
we call the number, the completion of the number, as a whole, as an entity, as its own, we have the number of eight. So eight in itself also shows us completion of a full cycle. Hence, the number of 18. This was open. Really? You tell. Before you leave. What are we going to do now so they don't uh, forget you were there? Huh? You want to do it now so they don't forget you were there? No, take this back. It's disgusting. Huh? Disgusting. It was open. Yeah. And therefore, the number eighteen, as a com- as a combination of the ten of the eight, besides being the numerical value of the word chai of life, shows us and tells us and gives us the combination of the ten and of the eight. So numbers, therefore, we see, although each number is an entity of its own, each number, each one number, the number one, the number two, although number two usually can only be after number one, because if you don't have a one, then you're not number two anymore. LMI, if you're a separate entity... You're one, and I'm also one. This too would take us into a spell of what numbers show us and complete for us. So whereas there is a thousand, the number of a thousand, or whatever it is, or a million, whatever it may be, each one individual, one of these numbers, which is an entity of its own, without it, the other number, the final number, would not be where it is at. And therefore, like climbing a ladder, in order to get to the second rung, one needs to take the first rung first. person needs to see to it that each unit <coughs> excuse me that compiles that makes up the entire entity needs to be in place in order for the entity to be a full entity I'd like to thank, take this moment to express the gratitude to Hashem with the great joy and happiness in our family, Baruch Hashem, our daughter and son-in-law, Chaimushka and Pini Kaufman in Manchester, England, who Baruch Hashem brought a little baby boy into the world last night or this morning in England. May, they be, may this child be a source of nachas for them, for all of us. May he open the gates of simchas, of happiness and joy for our family and for all those 
affiliated or connected with us, or that know us, or that know of us, or that belong to Klal Yisrael, Am Yisrael, and we should hear and merit the Am Yisrael Chai, the life once again, the joy of how each and every Jew lives as its own entity, and each and every Jew lives as an entity belonging to one. This Shabbos in Eretz Hashem is Pashas Vayetzei. The date this Shabbos is Yud Kislev. We'd like to find a connection between Yud Kislev and Pashas Vayetzei. And how someone's at the door. And so how they go hand in hand one with the other. In Pashvayetse itself, though, let us first discuss the many things that happen. Someone is at the door. Yaakov leaves Be'eshava and goes to Choron. This is, of course, sequential to last week's Pasha, where Yaakov took the brachas of Esav. Now, by the instruction of his mother and father, Yitzchak and Rivka, uh, as per instruction of his father, he and mother, he goes to leave. To the land of Kharam. Um In itself, an interesting phenomenon. Let us meet Yaakov first. We know Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, we know the three forefathers. Each had their own attributes. Abraham Chesed, Yitzchak Huda, Yaakov Tiferes. Each one instituted a different tefillah, a different prayer, the morning prayer of Shachris by Avram Avinu, the Mincha prayer by Yitzchak, and the might of prayer by Yaakov. Discussing that, someone said, obviously, as we say, sometimes humor has to also be brought into place. Maybe Yaakov didn't establish Mayrev after all. The story takes us here in this week's parsha that Yaakov leaves Beersheva on his route and route to Har, and all of a sudden the sun sets on him. It becomes a very quick day, and he realized, "Whoops, I didn't have mincha." So it's Ravik Shal because it was dark outside. They said, "What are you doing? We only daven by the morning and the afternoon." So they called it Ma'ariv. 
Obederach Tzachar has no source whatsoever and does not have any validity. Huh? Crazy. This is opening now. Taylor tells us as Yaakov arrives to his destination, to this place, it's not at the destination, the night does night fell. Taylor tells us Vayivka Bamokin Vayolan Sham Kiva Shemesh Vayishka Bamokimahu. He arrived at this place, <coughs> excuse me, he overnighted there. The sun had set. He laid down at this place. Vayivka, Yulashin of Tefila, the Dominic. Bamakoin, the place. When we say the place, when we say the about something, we're making reference to something that's a known place. This place mentioned here is precisely this place where the base Hamikdash, the ultimate temple, a holy temple was built, would be someday be built. And in this place he lay down. For the sun had set. The Medish tells us that there's a very interesting significance in the fact that the Torah is telling us clearly that he laid down here. He laid down to sleep. At this point in time, before this journey, Yaakov had studied in Shem Ve'ever for 14 years. Yaakov was a tremendous masmid. The master is an extremely diligent fellow. For the 14 years he studied in Shem Weber, he did not lie down in a bed. He then makes his journey and ends up by Lavan Arami. Ends up working seven years, seven years, another six years. During the 20 years, again, he does not lie down in a bed. This instant, arriving in this holy, holy spot, Yaakov chooses to lie down to sleep. How strange. Here on Temple Mount, The human body
tells us that of the different types of creations, the human is superior to all. The human is not even keel with the animals, with the birds, with the fish, with the stones, with the grass, or the stalks of wheat. The human is superior to all of this. In many, many different ways. Firstly, the Al-Tarab explains from many different sources, Kabbalah, etc. The four types of species. The Doimeim, the Tzimeach, the Chai, and the Medaber. The Doimeim being as a stone does nothing. It will do, ultimately, when Mashiach comes, it will let us know a lot of secrets and one of the things in Hayyem Yem it's written sorry in Hayyem Yem it is written it's a beautiful beautiful compilation put together by the Fidi Gedeva every day an expression and a saying in the Hayyem Yem it says the Asad Lavai in the future if a person today today's day and age walks the streets and is not reciting words of Torah, Tehillim or Mishnayis then in the future when Mashiach comes the very stone that he stepped upon the stones and blades of grass that he tread upon We'll call out to him. Call him to task and say, Bulach. What are you better than I, you fool? You weren't saying any Torah. You weren't thinking any Torah. In what way are you better than I? Therefore, Although the daiming is seemingly purposeless, seemingly does nothing, when Dabra Melech complained to Hashem about three things, and he doubted their existence. One was the spider. One was the wasp. And one was insanity. The Holy King David asks God, Why were any of these created? What purpose do they serve? The wasp does not give out honey. The spider does nothing. And lunacy? Do we need lunacy? And Almighty said to him, I will show you, in the course of your life, you will see how each of these will play a role 
an integral role in your life. And as years passed, and David unfortunately is under the pursuit of Shaul HaMelech, where King Shaul wants to kill King David, David HaMelech hides out in a cave. And Avni Bener was hot on his tail. As he entered the cave, Avni would obviously see that, or come check in that cave to see where, who, where he, who's there. But as Avner approached the cave, the spiders came together and spun a very thick web. A web that would usually take five, six, ten years to, call, to be built, to be made. So when Avner approached the entrance of the cave and saw this thick web on the cave, it's not humanly possible anybody who's been here re- recently because they would have to break through the web in order to get into the cave. So he dismissed the thought that anybody was hiding there, especially King David. Ultimately, it gets broken, the web, for whatever reason. Not relevant to our story, to our shir. But Avner falls asleep by the entrance of the cave, blocking the exit. Physically, he was a large man. King David could not get out because there's Avner sleeping and he wants to run for it but he can't because he can't get past him. The Abish sent a wasp. And the wasp came and stung Avner in his sleep and from the pain, from the discomfort he shifted. And he shifted in such a way that it left King David space to leave. And King David runs away. Time goes by, and we know, of course, that before this, King David slew the giant, Goliath. And the deal was, Goliath made, that any Jew that can beat me, if there's anything such like that, he wants to go fight them. If a Jew will beat him, that Jew will rule the Philistines. At the time, Goliath was the king or the ruler. Or maybe he wasn't even. Maybe he was just the main guardian of the palace and figured that he could play with the house money. If, however, he says, there you go, if, however, he says, I beat the Jew, then the Jews will become slaves to me. 
King David faces Goliath. And we know in history the story what happens to Goliath. But King David does not become a king of the Philistines. King David is still on the run from Shaul and Alech. And King David arrives in the palace of the Philistinian king, emperor, whatever he was. And the guards recognized him. And they told the king, this is David. He is the one that beat Goliath. And Goliath promised him your throne. Here he is, he's coming to claim your throne. The Philistinian king had a problem. An internal problem. A personal problem, actually. He had a wife and a son that were totally off their minds. They were insane. And I mean, insane, insane means asylum-type insane. Drooling and writing on the walls and screaming and yelling and laughing, crying together. And as soon as the guard said that this is King David, and King David's life was now threatened, because the king said, in that case, I'm going to kill him, I don't want him taking over my job, I don't want him taking over my, my kingdom. So at that point, <coughs> Hashem put Mishugas, insanity, into King David. And King David started acting totally irrational, insane, jumping up and down, etc. And the famous quote of the Philistinian king, which has been quoted probably billions of times over since, Do I lack lunatics? You tell me this lunatic is going to become the king here? What are you telling me? And so he dismissed the concept of King David being of any kind of leader or anything, any kind of threat to him, and he let him live, he let him go on his way. So King David was then shown those three questions, the spider, the wasp, and the insanity literally saved his life. So Hashem showed him in his own life how much value these three things have and how much more so for the coexistence of the world. So when you see a wasp shake his wing you see a spider salute his legs how <laughs> you see a machine <laughs> run <clears throat> Yaakov chose no better place no better time take sleep 
The man, therefore, sorry, we will go the other way. Man is superior to the other creations. Besides that he talks a language and understands his language. Man walks straight. Man walks with the feet on the ground, with his head in the air. Man is able to rise, raise up his eyes and see the heaven above and recognize me, Bara Ela. Who created this beautiful, beautiful world? <laughs> this, therefore, is the greatness of man. However, comes a time whereby man, his head and his feet are at the same level. His head is not above and his feet below, but they're at even keel. Even par with the feet. In practice, in practice, actual, the practicality of the way a person has to act, behave, and live our lives must be guided by spirituality. Our feet with lower faculties all this subject to our mind which brings about spiritual awareness this is for a man by God, however, it's all equal. He created everything equally, and therefore, in godliness, we don't have, we don't show, we don't see the significance of the difference. The temple was created for that's where God's innermost would be revealed. And therefore, God saw to it that Yaakov slept in this very place. Although his head was inactive when one sleeps, but they were with his feet on equal balance. In the presence of God, the height of spirituality and the course material 
it affects and uplifts are equal one footing. So when the person brings a sacrifice in the holy temple, it's a sacrifice. Flour, oil, spilling of water, of wine, meat, an animal, whatever it might be. But being a sacrifice... brought in the temple, it therefore is elevated. The famous, famous Medrash, Rashi, derived from the very clear Pasuk. Yaakov says, I need to rest now. So before he lies down, Vayikach me'avnei hamokim, says the Tera. He takes from the stones of the place. Avnei, of course, is plural. He takes stones, many stones. Vayosem arashesav. And places it around his head. He arranged him, says Rashi, like a gutter pipe around his head because he feared the wild beasts. Ultimately, it says that when he wakes up, he takes the even, the single stone. And we know that with many stones before, how come it became a single stone? And the simple answer to that is, of course, that the Almighty made a miracle. Since all the stones wanted the holy head of Yaakov to rest upon them, the Almighty joined all the stones together and they became one. And again I will quote my 8th grade teacher, Rebbe, but um, I don't, for, whatever, for whatever reason I'm not going to bring Mashiach with this by quoting by name. When we learned this parasha, we listened to the parasha Shavuah, when we learned this parasha, he told us that there was a tzaddik that wanted to sit on a chair, and the chair had these little holes in them. And each hole wanted the tzaddik to sit on him. Exactly. Hashem performed the miracle and made one big hole. <laughs> now, in this case, Yaakov puts the stones around his head to protect himself from wild beasts, really. Only his head. The rest of the body he, they can eat. Only his head they shouldn't eat. Come on. He obviously did something else. He must have made some kind of blockade around himself. I mean, obviously. He trusted God is going to protect him. And that's why he went to sleep. But if he was relying on the trust of God, why put anything? If in fact, though, Yaakov shielded the rest of his body as well <coughs> by putting up whatever he put around it. It's brought down in different commentaries, Moscow, David, etc. Then why only the barrier around his head 
gets honorable mention. If you put it around his whole body, why does it mention the whole body? <coughs> the symbolic issue here was obviously much greater than the primitive security system that he was setting up. There's something symbolic here with the fact that he surrounded his head with these stones. Before Yaakov left home, he took an American Express, because you don't leave home without it, right? Okay. No, that's not what happened. Before Yaakov left home, he was referred to as Ishtom Yeshev Ehalim. Simple man, innocent man, who dwelled in tents. And of course, this is a reference to the extended studies in the tents of Shem and Eber. Yeshiva of Shem and Eber. These were the academies at the time of the study of Torah study. Now, Yaakov is going to get married. I, I hope not many Bentera listening to this part of the shir because they might get insulted. Um, he was now going out to get married and understood he has to earn a living for his family. Sitting and learning is a beautiful thing, but it's not an option. You need to go to work. You got to enter the workforce. And not only would he be working now, he's working for Lovan Arami, this sly little scoundrel. Please, such language. Now the journey itself already exposed him to the concept of wild animals. Meaning, of course, the spiritual dangers. Even leading up to this transition from Ben Teda, from Shem Ve'ever, to the workforce, even leading up to it already, he was facing trials and tribulations. And they needed to be protected from it. So at this critical point, the Torah highlights the concept of what Yaakov was against. What does he protect? His head. What's in his head? The the true Torah values are in the mind. Ultimately, you have to keep them in your heart. And ultimately, you have to practice them. But a person needs to keep it ultimately stored and know about it and be engrossed. Even if you're engrossed and you're earning a a living and everything else, but you have to know, bottom line, the Teda, the learning, the studying of the Teda. You find this in Tehillim as well. If you eat the toil of your hands, you're praiseworthy. Ashecha. Tevloch. But of your hands... Your hands need to work. Your feet need to take you there, but your mind needs to be in Tera. Your mind, your heart has to be in Tera and in Tvila. This is where you ultimately belong. And this is what Yaakov's message to us was. That although he was going to work, although he was going to use his hands for physical labor, his heart, his mind, 
are protected from this and will not be affected by this. And it's very often in the workplace we people find themselves sometimes with, shall we say at least say the least, coarse characters. And these coarse characters tend to expose the innocent mind. And they say things and teach the person things and have the person talking ways that in their life they never did. And this therefore is Yaakov's message to us today. How we need to protect ourselves and we need to avoid Chasushalom coming into such nishim. We said the Shabbos is Yud Kislev. Tess and Yud Kislev. Erev Shabbos, Misha Yechel B'Shabbos, Misha Yechel B'Shabbos, Misha Yechel B'Shabbos, Misha Tarach, Erev Shabbos, Yechel B'Shabbos. Whoever involves himself with Erev Shabbos eats on Shabbos, of course. Not just referencing to the cooking that the person cooks on Erev Shabbos, that ultimately he will be able to eat on Shabbos, but more so the spiritual part of it. That the what the person does preparing for Yom Shekulei Shabbos will be Eichel B'Shabbos. And therefore, test this week, test this Friday, and Yud is Shabbos. And test Yud Kislev are the days of the birthday and the redemption, the day of redemption of the Mitle Rebbe, the second Rebbe of Chabad. And as we know, if you keep your score at home, the Gemara and Erevin, Mem Aleph, Omer Aleph, 41, side 1. Also, it's brought down in Seita. If you really need to keep score, it's on Mem Hey Amid Beis, 45, side 2. Bosa Reisha Gufa Azil. The body goes after the mind, after the head. So the redemption of the Mitle Rebbe is our redemption as well. And therefore, in Chabad, on Yud Kislev, we do not say Tachnun. And as this year comes out on Shabbos, we'll not say Avrachman. We'll not say Tzitkoscha. Tzitkoscha Tzedek. A little different point. The Geula itself happened on Yud Kislev. And that year it happened on Sunday of Pashva Yishlach. The knowledge of the redemption the notification of the redemption was on the day prior, which was Shabbos Kedish, Pashas Vayetze. Which that year was Teskislev, after Chatzais. When the Maim, when the Mittler Rebbe said a Maim Achsidis, a Divere Maschal Ata Echod, brought down from the Friedrich Rebbe. This year, Baruch Hashem, both come together. Again, the Yom Agula, Yud Kislev, comes out on Shabbos Kedish, Pashav Ayetze. So although Tes Kislev was the day that he was told he was going to be redeemed, and Yud Kislev was the day of Geula itself, therefore we see that Yud Kislev is directly tied with the concept of the Geula. The Alter Rebbe writes about his personal goal of Yuteski slave, which was Yom Gimel Shulchan Bekitev, third of Zana Tuesday. <coughs> the Alter Rebbe says, Kishkarisi, 
when I was reading Sefer <coughs> Tillim, in the Pasuk, Pada B'Shalom Nafshi, Mikrov Li, Yitzhasi B'Shalom, I came out. They let me out. I was reading the Pasuk of Pada B'Shalom Nafshi, Redeem in peace my soul. If you're looking it up, it's in chapter 55, Nun Hei, in Tehillim. And it's a song that the children sing on Yitzhak Kislev, the Rosh Hashanah Chassidus, and Mert Hashem, which we'll discuss in two weeks. The week, next week, probably this year. Either from Brooklyn, New York, or from Manchester, England. Depends on what Hashem has in store for us, of course. Hopefully, it'll be from Yerushalayim, Mirakadish. The Friedrich Rebbe explains this that when the Alter Rebbe was in prison, he took upon himself not only the Tehillim of the day of the month, but the day of the week. And therefore, according to the Seder Masuda, the Shia Tehillim, according to the way it's divided from the month, this would not have been Padre Vishalom on that day. Padre Vishalom comes out on Yud Lachedish. This is Yutes. All the Siddim say this, the Fidiyab writes, that this is a message to Shikolak Siddim, Chobane Yisrael, Ad Kolasher Rishem Yisrael Yechune. Not only each Jew, not only Siddim, but anyone that's considered a Jew, that's called a Jew, should say each day the part of Tehillim of the day of the month. This was a weekly part, the dividing up the Tehillim in the three, in the seven days of the week. On Yem Ashlish, on Tuesday, Kapitel Nun Hei is read. And therefore, since this was Yem Gimel Shulchan Bekitev Yutes Kislev, therefore the Alter Rebbe was reading when he was redeemed. And we know the fact that Maise always simin labanim. If you'll go in the archives of the Shirim, you'll find that pretty much, I mean, one year practically, we dedicated everything to Maise Ovis Labanim. The work of our forefathers is a sign, is a lesson for the children. The Mitle Rebbe's redemption was tied with the saying of the Pasuk Padav Shalom Nafshi. Since this Pasuk is divided in the days, not according to the, sorry, the Mitle Rebbe's was the days of the month, because it was Yud Kislev. So he was saying that days to Hillel. Whereas the Alter Rebbe was saying it according to the week. What, therefore, is there a connection, really, the redemption of the Mitle Rebbe and our Pasha Shavuah, Pasha Vayetze? Cheder, it's an oxymoron, or a contradiction, actually. We call it Pasha Vayetze, Vayetze Yaakov, but what does it mean, Vayetze, he went out, where did he leave? Ayetze Yaakov mi Be'er Shova. Be'er Shova was his comfort zone. Vayelech Harona. 
He went from Eretz Yisrael to Choron, to Chutz Laretz. Not just Choron, Choron is not just a bad place. A different place is the worst place, Charin Af The worst of the worst. If you ask me, I would tell you this resembles Golos. The Jews leaving Israel and going into exile. Leaving Beersheba, going into Charon. This is uh, the, to- the total cl- clear picture, the epitome of Golos. And we're turning around and saying that Yud Kislev, the Geula, the redemption of the Mitlarebbe, is connected with the Pasha of Ayatzeh. Which talks about Yaakov going into prison, going to exile. But we find from the Alter Rebbe, from all the Rabbein, brought down in the Svarim, when they discuss, they discuss the Pasuk, Vayetzi Yaakov Beshav Yedacharana. And they explain two different explanations here. First of all, Be'er Shava. We're going to find, I don't know if we'll be able to discuss, get to the end of the Sikha itself actually, where the Rebbe explains this Be'er Sheva and Be'er Shava. The difference of the two. Oh boy, I'm not finding it. It's avoiding me. It's eluding me. I don't know why. I didn't. I found it. Um, it's on the post of Yikreis of Shiva. When did he get the name Be'er When they were digging up the wells. In, in, in a nutshell, we'll fast forward a little bit, hopefully we can go back to it. The two explanations, Be'er Shava, is Bina and Malchus. Bina, understanding Malchus of being kingship. And there's a third explanation as well. The only place this is found, really, says the Rebbe, was in Teres Chaim, in our parasha. Again, the Mitla Rebbe, the Balagula, says, in Be'er Shava, there are three levels in Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva mentioned by Avram, which is the seven midas of Chachma. Be'er Sheva of Yitzchak, which is the concept of Bina. And Be'er Sheva by Yaakov, which is Malchus. 
So aside from the two explanations that we said before, that Be'er Sheva goes on Bina and Malchus, now we find also, in the name of, in the concept of the, the way the Balagula explains it, the Be'er Sheva of Yitzchak was Bina. Be'er Sheva of Yaakov was Malchus. But on top of that, there's a concept that goes on Chochmah. The Be'er Sheva of Avram. And Avram was referred to Avram. Why was it Avram? Avram, the whole world, the seichel that was nelam because Ryan was Avram. Seichel that was hidden. So we see from the pastors of the psukim also the same thing. When it comes to the word Be'ashava of Avram. On the Pasuk, which is brought down back in Pasha's Tildes, Vayikra is a Shiva. If the digging of the world, he called it Shiva. Al Ken Kor Hashem Ha'ir Be'er Sheva. The Sephardah explains, writes, <coughs> brought down in different places in Chassidus, Be'er Sheva, with a segel, goes on the concept of Shavua. The number of seven. He called it Be'er Shiva. Because it was the seventh place that he dug a well. But in the days of Avram, it was called Be'er Shova. With the comets. Because of the Shavuah alone, the, the promise that he made. <coughs> and it says in the Pasuk there, back in Vayera yet, where it says, with a comets, because they were both sworn in. So not because of the seven clauses that I dug up the wells for that. Since here it says So this goes about again to the concept of Avram's Indian of Be'er which we explained before is the Indian of Kochma. So again, we're going back to the same concept. It's a going down from higher to lower. So again, what does this have to do with Gula? Another explanation over here. According to this explanation, we find that it's not but Matla the Mendesh tells us, Be'ashav and Be'edash al-Shavua. What was Be'ashav and Be'edash al-Shavua? That Yaakov says, Le'yamid alai, Avimelech, Ve'yemeshav ali, K'shem shenishbali, Zekenecha. Swear to me like you swore to your forefathers. 
Nimtzos, we find, we found, Mishal B'Simchas B'nei Shiva Deiris. That because of this, Simcha was held off for seven generations. Because of the Shvua of Avram Tavi Melech, the Jews did not go into Israel for seven generations. And the matter says, Amalek Kodesh Baruch Avram, Ata Nasata Natata Sheva Kivoses Belirat Zeni, you gave seven kivoses without my wanting to do so. Chayecho, I promise you. I withhold joy from your children for seven generations. Two explanations to that. One is Shevadatis. Shevadatis Hayyim Avram and Yeshua. Those seven generations from Avram to Yeshua. So therefore, it was then divided up the main parts of the land. Avram is Yaakov Levi because Amar Mesha. The sixth, therefore Yeshua the seventh. If Yaakov would have made a Shvua, it would have held up another seven generations. And He only said his Yitzchak what he said was a Shvua Hakidema Shibanesinamevicha. It was not He's not making a new shvur. He didn't take a new entity. He wrote on the f- the fathers, the ones that before. Another que- another explanation of this also you can say perhaps Ravram until they took over Sichon and Oig was seven generations. <coughs> the shvur of Yitzchak until Yeshua was seven generations. So that uh, Yitzchak Shvua held up yet an extra generation. And Yaakov understood that if he would swear, then it would end up another generation. And he said, It's not happening. So he saw him find, therefore, he went out from the concept of Be'er that makes a Shvua. So not Avram Shvua, not Yitzchak Shvua, he went out of that idea. Why? Because he wanted to have Geula. And the fact that he did not swear, he went out from Be'era to Shavuah, from the previous Shavuah, bringing into the union of Gula, which takes us into Israel after the seven generations. And therefore, Vayelach Charona was the Mayusa. Charon, Melashon, Chedos. The Charon is the word, the word Charon here referring to the concept of Chedos, which hints on Tera, which through this has become Ben Chedin, like the Rizal say, Enoch Ben Chedin, the Mishnah Eisik. The Talmud Tera, there's no Ben Chedin, the person is not free unless he sits and studies Tera, and therefore we look forward to being free on this very Shabbos, on the Chagagul of Tess Yud Kislev, on the Yitz Yaakim Be'eshav Ve'elecharon, Yaakim will take us out from our personal Be'eshav, our personal Shavua, and take us into the Charen, into the Chedin, and we'll be Ben Chedin, Yerushalayim, Yerakedish, with the Rebbe Nasi Dereino, Shabbat Shalom to all.